Welcome to Tomorrow, the new and improved Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss Bernie Sanders, the FBI, and the Internet of Things. But first, a word from our sponsors. The USAA is passionate about what they do, which is ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. As an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. Are you ready to take your website to the next level? Whether you're a first-time blogger or an experienced web pro like myself, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a website that's beautiful and powerful, also like myself. HostGator even offers mobile-friendly templates so your audience can easily browse your site on the go. It's everything you need, all in one place, all backed by 24-7 expert support. And right now, listeners of this podcast, the Tomorrow Podcast, get 60% off. Just visit hostgator.com slash tomorrow. My guest today is a software engineer and game developer and is now a candidate for a congressional seat in South Boston in the 8th District. Uh, and is has I have no doubt many interesting tales to tell. I do. I'm of course talking about Brianna Wu. Brianna, thank you for being thank here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I have so many things. First yeah. off, this is I, you should know that we've been we've took a hiatus on this show. Mm-hmm. We're back. This is like the coming back episode. I can think of no better guest to have. Oh, I appreciate because that. Yeah. we're in this weird moment where, I mean, the world seems completely upside down. It's really scary, right? And, and, and you have, like, your experiences, like, across technology, across politics, dealing with, like, harassment, like, yeah. being a voice for, you know, a very outspoken voice yep. in so many areas. Like, I feel like there's so much of it that's so, like, at the surface right now. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted, so I want to talk about all of that, and yeah. we're going to talk about, about all of it. But, the, like, the first thing I want to talk about is, can, can you... I don't know how much, like, I don't want to talk that much. I mean, we'll talk about Gamergate, because yeah. I, want, I want to talk about, like, that relationship sure. to what's happening in the world right now. But yeah. but tell me about how you made this decision. So you're running for a seat in Congress, I right? and uh, you're running against, I presume, a Republican. No, it's actually, well, he seems like a Republican to me because <laughs> he's anti-Obamacare, he's anti-women's rights, anti-gay rights, um, you know, a pro, um, you know, criminalization of marijuana. Like, there, I, this I don't... Is, and this isn't... Uh, who's, who's your this opponent? This is Stephen Lynch. Okay. In, uh, he's, a Demo- he's a Democrat? He's allegedly a Democrat, wow. but he's a very, very right-wing Democrat. Yeah. So, this is like, isn't this what's happened with Democrats is that, mm-hmm. I mean, now we see like these sides within the Democratic Party really battling, but it's right. like there has been this move, this centrist movement. Yep. And I think, look, I mean, you can say, you know, some people, I mean, look, I, I, I very badly wanted Hillary to win yeah, for many too. reasons. I did too. Though like, you know, there's obviously a space there where you say, well, Hillary was very center. Yep. I mean, almost conservative 
I think a, she's a, a product of that generation of women, right? Yeah. And I think you have to really acknowledge that she grew up in a time that's very different than today. I, I will never forget her getting absolutely massacred by the news for saying, you know, I had a career before I married my husband. Yeah. And people like Connie Chung calling her abrasive, calling her all of these names. And it's like, you know, she is a product of that era. So yeah. I have a lot of... um Empathy, I think, might be the word for that. But I also think in that same way, the women of today, we've got to break down new barriers and kind of not play that game, you know? Like we need to speak our mind just like men do. And I think that that will you know, break way for women that are coming up after us. It doesn't seem crazy to even say like – we've got to be able to speak our mind just like men do yeah. Like in 2017, this idea that like there would be a barrier to that. I mean, I mean, and I'm probably naive because I, I, you know, I was raised like in a home that was like, you know, my family were literal socialists. Like, you know, oh, wow. like my yeah. great aunt had like lunch with Trotsky and like, yeah. you know, they were part of like workers parties, you know, it's like old Russian Jewish family. So, yeah. so, so in my, like in my home, like, it's not like everything was perfectly equal. It's not like my parents didn't come from a generation that was, everything was completely lopsided, mm -hmm. but we, I definitely like, I have had the luxury of being raised amongst like pretty reasonable modern people. <laughs> but I like grew the up idea with hyper-Republican religious extremists, church three times a week, um, Mississippi, in yeah. Mississippi. So you were, you were originally from West Virginia and then you moved to Mississippi? Well, I was born in West Virginia. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was adopted. So okay. that's the state where that took place. Um, and I then, honestly, but you grew up in Mississippi. Yeah, I did all the way. It was a really surreal place to grow up yeah. looking at my career these days. Um but yeah, sorry. No, I was going to say it's like that that's something you know to me that is I'm very curious to know how you go from like being in a family where you're going to church 3 times a week yeah. to you know hardcore feminist. Yeah, hardcore feminist and and I don't know I mean I don't know where you stand on religion but sure. like you know I think that uh clearly like embracing modernity yeah. and equal rights. Well, I see the way that you know uh, southerners very understandably, I think, have a, a bit of a chip on their shoulder about the way that they're talked out th about throughout the nation. And it, it always surprises me when I tell people I'm from Mississippi and they're like, oh, like, it, like yeah. it's shocking. The engineer could, <laughs> uh, do could grow up in that in that background. But at the same time, yeah, I take a lot of pride in having the ability to change my mind about things. And, um, you know, I um, was very young. I think I was 23. Um, you know, I decided to take a chance and move to D.C. and I worked for several Republicans there. And, you know, seeing the party up close and the way that it operated, this was when we were going into war with Iraq for the second time. And I saw us rushing there and making shortcuts. And I was like, maybe there's a world beyond what Sean Hamdi and Rush Limbaugh are telling me there are. Is that who you were listening to before? Oh, all the time. Fox really? News. I've spent so much time listening to Bill O'Reilly. It's so, ridiculous. So when yeah. you were a teen and yep. early 20s. Yep. You were like hardcore Fox hardcore, News. Hardcore, hardcore. You were like a rush listener. I was all the way. That's that's and, that's really interesting to me. Well, you know, but I think, you know, it's – you have these ideas put in your head before you can even think for yourself, right? Yeah. And then you get out there in the real world and you learn that it's just a little more complicated than they said it was. And just a little. A little bit. <laughs> but there's also um, – you know, something I really noticed is when Republicans tend to make an argument, they can't do it without um, attacking somebody. Mm -hmm. Like let me give you an example. Like, uh, you know, uh, access to abortion, right? 
you know, it's because girls are too promiscuous, right? Or yeah. they're just not careful enough. Like it's the woman's problem there where, you know, access to reproductive health care is a much wider problem. So I started looking at my friends that were making these arguments and I realized um, it was more fact-based. Now, I, I do want to say I think sometimes the left particularly recently does move into the realm of personal attacks a little bit more than I'm comfortable with. But yeah, generally speaking, I just started reading books by liberals and I realized that um, I've been on the wrong side my whole life. You see, that's interesting to me. I mean, I, I, because, like, I mean, going back to what I was saying about my upbringing, like sure. my, I mean, and I can understand, like, there is a there is a type of conservative belief and a set of, like, conservative ideas that to yeah. me seem in some way reasonable. Like, there's yeah. economic, you know, like, national certain national security ideas, certain economic ideas. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, it's not like one party can have every answer. Sure. Right? And I think you see in other countries there are many parties and that are – it's not just like, hey, it's, like, red or blue, but there's all sorts of colors, right? right. I think here it's like we've got our choices. So I accept the idea that there, are, there can be conservative thought that is useful and positive yep. and good for people. Yep. But like when you see it expressed in that party, you don't get like nuance. Nope. You get this like broad you do. stroke essentially. They've and almost inculcated their base to not – consider new facts or new arguments like um you know this is what fox news does to you it teaches you that anything the opposite side says is a lie or a trick or a trap and right. you know they've essentially been training their base for 25 years to just ignore any negative information and right. we've seen that culminate with donald trump so yeah it's yeah. It, it's, it's striking to me so so tell me about your decision to run for, I mean, up up into up until the, you know, when did you announce that you were running for this uh, for Congress? <laughs> it got out a little quicker than I was hoping to. I'm friends with friends with uh, Dean over at VentureBeat uh, on Facebook, and I was putting together my website, and I forgot that. Oh, I'm friends with a lot of journalists on Facebook. I should not be talking about this. So it kind of <laughs> got out before I was ready. But right. um, you know, just real talk with you, like you know, you built businesses, I built businesses after uh, election night. I was planning on going back to. Boston. We have been working with, you know, uh, you know, venture capitalists on a really bold vision with VR and AR. Um, we basically, we've seen this research that basically um, it's building emotional frameworks. So like I have frameworks to detect all these different things in 3D. I wanted to build some frameworks that would uh, give you tools to figure out what the people using it are thinking with voice and eye movement and body language and all these different things. Um, and I was planning on going back to my studio and working on that expansion. And, you know, the, the worst happened and it was about five days later, maybe six. And I'm in this meeting and we're talking about, you know, VC stuff and I just can't even pay attention. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I working on here? Like, I'm going to go make pleasant distractions for the next four years while <laughs> the nation is burning. Yeah, I can't feel good about that choice. Yeah. I've got to do what I can. So it's remarkably similar to Gamergate. Like I stood up to that because I saw that, you know, male video game journalists were ignoring my friends being bullied out of our field. Yeah. And in that same way, I said, you know, I have a following. I want to model some leadership and I, you know, I'm an imperfect candidate, but I know I can do the right thing, and I'm going to go run against this extremely weak candidate in right. our state. Right, I, And I think that, like, to me, that is – it is so exciting 
to just think about like a person like you yeah. being part of the political process in this yeah. country. Because when you look at what we have in terms of, in fact, some, I mean, Vox had a, they did a tweet the other day. I mean, there's a story about the, you know, here's the GOP, here's what they have to say on uh, the immigration ban. Right. And it's like 271, you know, it's like 271 people, 270 old white guys. Yeah. And, and, and it's not just like, okay, well, they're all old white guys. You know, right. it's like right. you have to think about what the kind of depth of knowledge and the, the, where the Venn diagrams are of knowledge, right? Sure. And it's like if they all overlap in the same way, you don't – you're not going to get expansion of, of policy or thought or like come to I think the more correct decisions yeah. for an – increasingly diverse body of people, right? That's so true. Like with my staff, I'm very intentionally going out and looking for people of color to hire for senior positions because, you know, as a white person, I can watch Black Lives Matter and the way they're treated and watch Ferguson and be appalled and realize I have a role to change that. But I can never have that perspective, right? right. And I will be a stronger congresswoman if I can bring in that perspective to my team. So it's not it's not rocket science. Like you build businesses like I have. The best people to surround yourself with are people that think differently yeah. than you do. Yeah. You've got to do that. <laughs> no, it's so true. I yeah. mean, I mean, it is like one of the most valuable things in the world is actually to I mean, I literally like an hour ago we were having an editorial meeting and I was like mm -hmm. having kind of an argument with one of my editors, and it's like it was very much about like race and position and like, and you know, and it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, we're going to be better for the, for the stories that we're doing to be able to have a, per, a strong perspective that isn't the same as mine. Yeah. Right. Obviously. I mean, you, you would be a fool. I think anybody would be a fool to try to do anything meaningful in like the world that we live in now and not build a diverse, not have a diverse set of people involved in that yeah, process, yeah. right? But it's not just diversity with, you know, race or gender or, you know, sexuality. Um, you know, our Congress is really overpopulated with lawyers. And I have respect for lawyers, but, you know, I, I would love to talk about tech policy and how we are absolutely blowing it in every way possible. Yeah. And it is... It is really terrifying. Like the Mirai botnet last year, this shut down huge parts of our, uh, you know, of our internet infrastructure, social mm -hmm. media, access to financial institutions, access to news, um, and Congress effectively just shrugged at this. And you know, just to give your listeners some background, like it's it's a complicated problem. But long story short, part of the problem was Internet of Things devices being out there. They are sold with extremely poor security measures uh, and a default password that cannot be changed. So people just find these devices online and then turn them into machines that can take down the Internet in right. sophisticated ways. Right. Now, a Congress that understood that problem would react to that by going, huh, maybe we need to have some sort of mechanism to recall those kinds of devices since right. they can destroy our Internet infrastructure. Yeah. And you had a woman who I hope to serve on a subcommittee with, um, uh, Marsha Bradburn, a Republican, and she went on and blamed it on SOPA. Yeah. She blamed it on SOPA, yeah. this this bill that lets corporations like control free speech yeah. and abuse the Mirai botnet for SOPA. And it's like these are the people that are making our no, tech policy. It's crazy. I mean, this is something I see all the time where, I mean, particularly with things that are modern, right, like technology. Yeah. But you see it all over the government and you see it a lot in, in journalism as well where people are just conflate or allied things in this way that's like, sure, like if you don't know what you're talking about or if like you want people to – be convinced of something that you're interested in when there's another problem over here. I mean, I actually think like, yeah, that you can do that, but it's actually the wrong way to proceed. Right. I mean, it's actually in many ways it, it is what we're seeing right now with this 
immigrant ban with yeah. Trump's executive order on immigration where he cites 9-11 mm-hmm. in a document which happened 16 years ago, 15 yeah. years ago. And and out of nowhere, we're suddenly having this conversation trying to solve a problem that at the moment is actually not a problem and, and ignoring like the podnet is a great example. Yeah. How much damage could be done with a stronger attack, with a larger attack that really affects like the lives of people in America versus like, you know, the likelihood that you're going to be uh, killed in a terrorist and a physical terrorist attack, which is uh, like a rounding error chance, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it's funny to, it's funny to see this immediate, I mean, it's all grandstanding, isn't it? Like the, the it immigration is. ban is just like somebody like, it's puffing it, out it, their chest. It's throwing out, you know, raw meat for their base, right? right. Um, you know, and like we can look at the stats here and, you know, the the radicalization of like the alt-right in Gamergate. Like yeah. that is something that has resulted in violence. It resulted in violence just this week. We're not even talking about that. So no, it's, it, I mean, did, did Trump even did Trump even make a statement about Canada, about the shooting at the mosque in Canada? I didn't see any. No, I mean, that, so that's insane, right? So that yeah. just to put it in perspective, it's like there's a literal, actual terrorist attack on Muslims in Canada. Yep. And it's like he just wants to pretend like there's not another problem that's actually really spreading, which sure. is nationalism that 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 uh, mutates into terrorism, right. like that we've had here. I mean, Dylan Roof as an example, right? Yep. And and the shooter in 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 Canada is now another example of it. I want to. I actually want to talk a lot more about Gamergate and the alt right and its connection to the government that yep. is in charge of the country right now. I want to take a quick break uh, awesome. for for an ad, and then we'll be right back. Um, so stick around. Digital products like computers, phones, and tablets are an integral part of our everyday lives. But unfortunately, all that screen time can also lead to digital eye strain, resulting in tired eyes, which I have all the time, actually. Headaches, blurred vision, and increased sensitivity to light. Thankfully, Crizal no-glare lenses protect your eyes from the glare of digital screens, as well as the harmful effects of blue-violet light, helping to safeguard your eyes from potential damage. Crizal also gives you the clearest vision possible by offering resistance to scratches and smudges. That means no more fingerprints after taking your glasses on and off or scratches from cleaning your lenses on your shirt, which I personally hate doing because my shirts are always covered in grease. Uh, and because Crizal, no glare lenses stay clear and reduce distracting glare, your friends and family can actually see your eyes, not just your glasses. Look better, feel better, and most importantly, be prepared for whatever comes your way with clear vision. Go to crizal.com. To learn more, that's C-R-I-Z-A-L, I know you were wondering, dot com, and start living life in the clear. Okay, we're back with Brianna Wu. We are talking about a, a million different things, but mm-hmm. uh, we were just talking about cybersecurity, and I, I'm going to get to, I want to talk about Trump and Gamergate and a bunch of other stuff, but like... Let's talk about where you see the holes or the problems right now with cybersecurity because it feels like it feels like it's one of these things where at the moment it takes place, like the botnet attack, right? Yeah. Everybody, I mean, at least in our world, is like, "Holy shit, what are we going to do about this?" <laughs> right? We talk about it and they but, don't get it, right? But yeah. then, but then, even people who are very nerdy and very techy, like that, I know, mm-hmm. 
it, it goes away pretty quickly. So, so tell me, tell me your 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 plans. Well, on this. I know the Republicans have like marketed themselves as like you know the the s- national security expert. But you well, know, with Giuliani as their uh, cybersecurity oh expert, <laughs> and this is another cash grab for yeah. him. Like, uh, oh, <laughs> that's but the worst. It so really is. Yeah. But like, okay, so seriously, future wars are going to be t- fought with tanks and submarines and planes less. And it's going to be fought with hacking financial infrastructure and energy infrastructure and news infrastructure. You know as well as I do, this is the future. And we're just not even talking about this. Like, we are ridiculously vulnerable to this. Um, You know, I don't want to get into, like, um, you know, an Android versus iOS, um, you know, thing. But, like, you look at the Me Too app that came out last week. The Android version is... A problem in a way many, many Android, you know, apps are. And then you've got the iOS app that also is like calling some APIs in an improper way. Like this is a disaster. It's sending all this information over. It's just utterly a common, uh, you know, a common event. So frustrated about Android too because, I mean, it's like like Google – I mean, in some ways Google's security is excellent, right? There are places where they've done a really great job. Yep. With Android, it just feels like it still feels like the Wild West, and we're in 2017, so it shouldn't. Well, you know, this is where, like, you and I have a conversation, and, like, the government talking and getting involved with this makes me extremely nervous. But (laughs) at the same time, I think it's true that when it comes to cybersecurity, you know, the the free market cannot solve this because neither the producer nor the consumer is interested in paying for it, right? There's a financial incentive to get as much of your information as possible and sell it, and then the consumer consumer just doesn't understand this. And like we geeks have this attitude like, well, they should just learn. They should just learn better and do better. And it's never (laughs) – my grandmother is never going to like understand the permissions for an Android smartphone. I know. I mean all the time like I just was talking to a family member of mine and they were like – I got this email and it's I'm like, no, don't I did you, I'm like, did you open it? And they're like, yeah, I opened it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, you're screwed. Right. Like, that's it. So, you know, I, as far as I'm aware, no one's ever really set out to say, hey, how can government really, really work on this? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I've been playing around with, and like, please understand, I'm just like thinking out loud here is, you know, I wonder if you had massive grants, like we write huge grants for education, right? Like we say this um, knowledge is worth it. For us to invest in, so we we spend a lot on that. I'm wondering if like there was a, a grant program with a third party uh, foundation, like the Linux Foundation, to really develop some extremely strong APIs and really test them, like and, and like develop some cybersecurity technology that all of us could use, yeah. like a really robust robust set of things, that would be like, like and that wasn't didn't have some weird backdoor. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that would be You'd kind have of to amazing. open source every bit of it to right. really put that out there. But we right. we need need really bold vision on yeah. this because what we're doing, like if you're an actual engineer and you understand like how your keyboard talks to your computer, how that talks across the internet and like all these protocols that are like strung together with duct tape. Yeah. I mean, it, no, it's, it's, vulnerable. It's, it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. It's, it's funny to think about the, you know, that the, bot, the botnet attack and the yeah. security of those devices and, you know, this Internet of Things situation we have. And, and you think about in relation to now, obviously, you know, we're not talking about human lives. Like, I mean, we're not really talking about death, right? But we can be. Well, yeah. I mean, there are certainly yeah. situations where this escalates. Yeah. But but in the mo- in the most more recent one. But you are it is interesting that, like, we should have a system where there is like, do we know 
all these devices that talk to one another, all these devices that that are connecting to the internet, we have no system to actually look at them and go like, okay, what's the security like right. on this thing? Right. We have the FCC will test radios, right? And they'll say like, it's on these bands and it has this much output or whatever. Right. But it doesn't go like, okay, what security protocols are you using yeah. to protect against this kind of attack? Yeah, I think one way we can move forward, like look at Ashley Madison, right? Like they've got a ton of data, I do, right? on a regular basis. Okay. <laughs> Look at that situation, <laughs> yeah. that story. Like, right, they've got a ton of user data. They don't salt. They don't hash it. They don't have proper security. And right. it gets out there on which the is, Internet which for everyone to see. insane because it's actually ridiculous. Madison's whole business yeah. is predicated on, on this idea. You're like, you're cheating on your spouse. Like, Be super careful. Like, how could how could they not have made their top priority? Right. Like, let's make sure nobody can ever get any of this information that's yeah. in here. I think the only way forward on that is civil litigation, right? Like, they make cars vastly more safe by doing class action lawsuits with cars. Right. And I think in egregious, and I really mean egregious situations with large companies like Ashley Madison, if that data gets out there, I want to open them up to civil liability. Because right. the only way this is going to change is when it's more expensive to not hire those security engineers than it is to hire them and do the right thing. And Right. Any engineer what's the out re, there. The, what's yeah. the, the end result is like, okay, well, Ashley Madison loses some credibility. Right. But I don't think Ashley Madison had, was worried about credibility no. necessarily <laughs> to begin with. And and so there really isn't – I mean it's funny in this country, but like if it doesn't rise to a court, right. people laugh it off. Yeah. Right? It just yeah. isn't taken seriously. Like, yeah. And I think particularly on the internet, people don't take that kind of – I mean, we're so used to having our privacy sort of violated yeah. and manipulated. We're yeah. so used to having our information be used to sell something or to get, you know, to get you something put in front of you that when you see something like, hey, this totally violated my privacy and my and has like damaged me in a bunch of different ways. Not that I like I understand that like people are like, well, they're Ashley Madison people like they got what, you know, got what was coming to them. I think you can't you really have to say even for the worst yeah. situations, you've got to have some level of like privacy and security like protocols in place that protect individuals. Yeah. Because if you don't do it in the worst situations, you're probably not doing it in the best situations and everybody is at risk. Absolutely. Yeah, I say Ashley Madison because it's a, something you and I, like as tech people, would know about. But I'm talking about like Target when yeah. they lose massive amounts of credit card like, Were data. they not hit with class action suits? I don't that? I don't think they were actually. I, I mean, could be wrong about that. that seems crazy to me. Yeah. I mean that's – but you know now it's, it's so commonplace. Yeah. I mean how often do you hear about a hack? I mean I've gotten – I mean, in the last year, mm-hmm. I've probably gotten like six emails from people who were like, we had a security breach, you yep. know, Same I think here. Dropbox had one, yep. uh, I got that I, one. Yahoo definitely had one, yep. a big one. Adobe had one. Adobe. Stuff. Yep. Yeah. And this is like, these are regular brands that tons of average people use, not like Ashley Madison, yeah. which yeah. is like on the risque side of, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. So, so that's, is that a big part of your policy? I mean, is that a big part of it's like. It's not going to be something I campaign on because the people right. in South Boston are not going to go, like, oh, I want some privacy litigation rules there. But I, I think it speaks <laughs> to my credibility as a software engineer because yeah. the truth is, it just being really straight with you, Josh, like I've seen the way Congress works up close. And right now when it comes to our tech policy, You've got big companies like AT&T and Verizon. They're handing the legislation they want signed over to the people they donate money to. And techies don't have a voice. So, you know, the issues I have in Boston are more about building up the tech and biotech industry, right? Like that's the meat and potato stuff that I'm going to be talking to people in my district about. But if you're out there and you're listening to this – 
Like we have got to have engineers in Congress. We've like it, this is necessary. This yeah. is like saving the country. This is national security. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I definitely think the the. I would say that like the. The voices seem so homogenous in our in our government yep. right now, and I do think that over time we have really bastardized the idea of like what it means to like make laws and to govern people, yeah. and and to be part of this what is supposed to be. Um, a system that serves the citizens, yeah. right? And is definitely upside down in a lot of ways. I want to talk about Trump. Um, obviously, my guess is, I mean, based on what we were just talking about, you're not a Trump supporter. You're not, <laughs> no, you're not he's Trump. not my guy. Yeah, no. you know. And, and, and so it seems like we're in a, in a particularly rotten place in America yeah, right now. it's really scary. Um, we have, you know, Trump controlling the White House in a way and with people like Steve Bannon that seems... Yeah dangerous. Yeah. It feels somewhat out of control. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know how closely you're following. I assume pretty closely yeah. you're following like yeah. the, 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 Steve Bannon, like this is the editor that was in charge when Breitbart legitimized vast parts of Gamergate. Right. So this is extremely personal. I mean, he's me. essentially like, a, a, in many ways, like a major figure in the, in the alt-right and Gamergate yeah. movements, which are linked. Can we, I mean, they seem very linked to it's me. It's the same people. It's the exact same yeah. people, same playbook, just on a wider scale. So, so let's talk a little bit about you know, sort of like your experience with Gamergate uh, has been obviously very close. I mean, you dealt with enormous amounts of harassment from these people. I mean, really sort of violent and vile. Violent. I had to leave my house. Uh, they targeted my company's financials repeatedly. There's, um, you know, there's the Brianna that's in your studio today. And then there's the fake Gamergate version of Brianna that they've created that, you know, they have people that spend all their time like screwing up SEO searches. So this 4chan information rises to the top and the New right. York Times does not. Right. It is really frightening stuff. But I, I have to say this to you. And I've not seen media cover this. Josh, I want to tell you, at the height of Gamergate, I had two calls with Obama's White House. And we were very serious, and they told me they would get serious about prosecuting Gamergate. And they didn't. I personally blame Obama for Hillary losing because, you know, if we're talking a fraction of a fraction of a, you know, difference in the vote, mm -hmm. which is why this happened, yeah. I believe that if Obama had followed through on Gamergate and the prosecutions there, which, you know, we talked about and which they said they were working on, I believe that this playbook for the alt-right would not have poisoned mm. the entire election. He could have stopped it at the beginning of it, and he didn't. And I think if he had, I do believe Hillary Clinton would be president today. I mean, we're talking about difference of, what, 70,000 votes yeah. total, yeah. right? It's interesting that you, I mean, to hear you say that about Gamergate, I mean... It does seem like the, the kind of techniques, like this kind of mastery of gaslighting and mm -hmm. trolling and 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 using like taking like complete fabrications yeah. and trying to force those into the dialogue as as legitimate um, arguments yeah. has been kind of the cornerstone of how Trump campaigned. Yeah. And it also is the cornerstone of what Gamergate and the alt-right has done on the Internet. Yeah. I'm curious to hear your opinions on I mean it's interesting that like you asked for there to be action taken and that the and that the Obama administration didn't. I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, look, Obama was, you know, in no way a perfect president, right? right I think there right. are plenty of places where we can say 
he failed or did not live up to the expectations or the promises. He was a really good president. He was a great yeah, president. A but president. like we can yeah. every, I mean, there's all for every great thing that he did, you can go like, well, he was drone bombing these people. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Right. Every president has to do something shitty. Like there's yeah. no doubt. But but the thing about the thing I wanted to say is is that idea that you wouldn't go after this kind of vile harassment on the internet. There's something about and I've been thinking a lot about this and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. There's something about this idea that what we perceive um, about what is happening on the internet that we still think of it. We still have this IRL mentality mm -hmm. where like this is real, right. what we're doing right, right now. Right, right, right. And out there is real. Yeah, it just but on the internet, But on the internet, it isn't real. I get people going, well, there's real life and then there's like kind of these interesting games you're playing yeah, on the internet. Yeah. We've crossed over into a place where, what, where that's real life. Yeah. So how do you approach that? I mean, f as a lawmaker, you know, how would you approach it? As a human being, like, sure. how do we change that attitude? Well, I think we've got to be really careful when we're talking about the government, um, you know, having control over the Internet. I think that's really important to say. One of the most chilling moments with me working with the FBI was when they told me, oh, we're not going to be able to do anything about Gamergate unless we expand the Patriot Act. And I'm like, oh, my God, they I cannot. That? They did say that to me. <laughs> they did say, and I was like, you're trying to be professional with them when they're talking to you. I was appalled by that. How, how does that? I'm just curious. How does that apply? I mean, why is there an? I mean, we gave them names of people we investigated. Like Josh, I had every advantage anyone could have with getting my cases prosecuted. How many people out there can go and hire a few different people to investigate the death threats? Yeah. They're getting to categorize them to make that their job yeah. to put that out there. We gave the FBI names, addresses, uh, you know, like. Places they could go to subpoena IP addresses, gave them contacts at those you know, tech companies to go through the loop, and they just didn't care. Like you can see in the FBI report that came yeah. out last week, they just completely ignored it. Yeah. But I think that um, – you know, I really see this as a diversity problem at the beginning of it. And then, I'm an engineer. I like to look at problems from 30,000 feet in the air. In the 80s, we saw um, a year where women just fled computer science. NPR did a great story on this. And as a result of that, throughout the 90s and, you know, a lot of the nils, we had these companies um, start up and kind of our social norms on the internet were set, right? Like right. don't feed the trolls. It's a very male rule, you mm -hmm. know. Just don't do this. Don't do that. So we had well, – Well, like all of the etiquette of the internet is essentially – Dictated by men. Yes, it was. By white men. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting if you look at Jezebel's uh, comment policy, it's very different than other areas of that company. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a problem where we did not have the voices of the marginalized in it from the beginning. And things like Twitter are you know, set up to be a, hu a honeypot for a-holes, right? right. So, <laughs> you know, we've got to really rethink these paradigms. But I think at the at the core, I think like a good place to start is when you threaten to murder someone on the internet. I think there does, and it's a credible threat. I do think law enforcement needs to look into that very yeah. seriously. Yeah. I mean, what about I mean, what about doxing? I mean, this the the, the, yeah. the the practice of doxing people, of of swatting people. This like act where you are literally like psychologically torturing them. Yeah. I mean, to me, that feels like a crime. Like, yeah. I mean, are there are there not crimes on the books that like cover this? No. 
Well, so well, hold on. Danielle Cetron, who's the preeminent legal expert in the world on this, I'm a friend of hers. There are ways to prosecute it, but we can make those laws stronger. Catherine Clark is looking to do a, a federal, make swatting a federal crime, and I'm very enthusiastically going to help her get that passed if I win. And the same thing with doxing, like doxing yeah. people maliciously to terrorize them. Yeah. That's clearly like something that's, it, there needs to be a consequence. It, no, it seems insane to me that. I mean, just the physical, so the, sorry, not the physical, but the psychological impact of having this kind of harassment. It's like you wouldn't, if you were in a room full of people, this is the thing I think about all the time. It's like, listen, if we were in a room full of people and somebody was making death threats or rape yeah. threats to you, there's not a single person in the room or there aren't most people in that room if it were a crowded room who would tolerate it. Yeah, They'd say, you need to shut up, right? right. Like you right. need to step back. On the internet, it's like, oh yeah, that's just how people talk on the internet. You know, right. and to me, it's like this weird thing but it's like a basic set of manner, like a yeah. basic set of like, there's an amount of respect that you pay somebody no matter where you are, no matter who they are, yeah. like that I learned. And even on the internet, and I've had arguments with people on the internet. Have they ever gotten really nasty? Not really. I know there's like a limit to like what I would say to somebody yeah. because I believe that that interaction is the same as a real interaction. It's yeah. like an in-person interaction. I mean, is there a, is there an education side to this that, 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 that tackles that? Well, I want, before I tell you, answer that, I want to back up for just a second. And I, you know, you're a guy, so I want to Thank like you. really, yes, it's <laughs> yes, very, it's very, <laughs> very clear true. from being here today. Yeah, I'm very, no, very manly. I, I'd like for you to think about this. Um, I have a really good friend of mine. This is a woman that I consider one of my heroes in the game industry. She's a journalist. She's a journalist at one of the most important um, game journalism places here in the U.S. She very consciously alters her career to ways where she's not visible in the public eye and honestly holds her career back a little bit mm. because she's terrified of people going after her children online, which is an utterly rational fear. Yeah. So I just really want to put that out there. When we're talking about this, we're not talking about just the emotional harm, and I know that really well. But we are talking about a system that tells a whole lot of people – if you speak your mind, if you say what you think, if we don't like it, we will destroy you. And a lot of women out there are not, you know, they don't have my personality where I just, I will stand up anyway. Right. This is holding a lot of people back in ways I think a lot of guys don't really think about. Right. Well, no, of course. I mean, it's it's easy to be like, well, why don't you just do this? Yeah. You know, when it when you have the luxury and the, and the privilege of always being able to do whatever you want or say whatever right, you want. Right, right. I, it's interesting thinking about the kind of subtle effects of it, these sub, almost subconscious effects, which is like, yeah, okay, it sucks to be harassed. Yeah. But when you alter like your, you alter your behavior and how you talk and what you do as a result of the harassment, there's like, I mean, I feel like the echo effects of that are huge. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm sort of also like, I'd like to talk because you're, because you are like, you, I mean, your background is in, is in games and yeah. software development, yeah. right? Like, it seems fucking ludicrous to me. That this stems from what is like I understand Gamergate at like a kind of broad level. Sure. I mean, the way I understand it is like it's some form of like male frustration about like a loss of power. Yeah. I think, but like in the sense of in this case of Gamergate, we're talking about video games. Right. I mean, they're they, we're talking about people who identify as like I'm into video games. Yeah. Which is like a wonderful thing to be into. I think so. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but like as a as a way to define your political and cultural and social beliefs. Right. 
seems like an unusual place to start. Yeah. You know, if you're a PAX East, you'll be there. And I think about this, like, if you go to PAX Prime or PAX East, like, you're there and there are people selling vendors. And the purpose of all the merchandise you buy there is to, like, mark your body, to distinguish yourself as a true gamer out there. Like, oh, I played the original Final Fantasy. I know A, B, and C about that. It's like... It's people that, you know, establish their identity in games. And look, Josh, I grew up in Mississippi, okay? Like, it was church and football. And, (laughs) you know, for me, I got the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1986, and I was just gone after that. So I understand, like, basing your identity in that because I love games very passionately. But it's a a flashpoint because you have this group of people that – you know, they, they feel like they're getting less power in the world, right? This is why Gamergate spends so much time talking about comment sections. They're furious every time someone kills a comment section because right. that's their voice. Right. Think about that. That's their voice. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm right. having moderated, you know, like the Engadget comments in oh, 2007 oh, or 2008. Like, yes. I re, I, I'm very familiar with like fanboys and, you know, fangirls and, sure. but the culture of comment culture, yeah, right. Yeah, and how, yeah. and how dark it can get. Yeah, definitely. But it's, it's, and I do want to say it makes me really uncomfortable when feminists and some people on the left, like start stereotyping Gamergate people. as like, you know, virgins are attacking their looks. It's like, look, if you think attacking a woman's looks is out of bounds, why are you doing it to a dude? Like yeah, it's the exact right. same thing. No, I, I don't understand that. But it's, there's a, a sense out there with those people that somehow women already have equality and that the things we're asking for are ridiculous, which is why they fight the stereotype of us right. instead. So it's it's but, identity. But that's sort of getting back to what you were saying, like be, being a man, being like a white man, for instance, sure. like you don't see – you don't see what you don't experience in a lot of ways, right? right? And so I don't see it as a white woman, right? Right. Uh, so like what people of color experience with police. So it's easy to go like, I don't get it. What's the problem? I mean, I hear yeah. this all the time. I mean, you see, you see, you see politicians, not just people, gamer gay people. Although our politicians are essentially now gamer gay. I mean, yeah. Steve Bannon is essentially like a gamer. Yeah. You know, and it's like, uh, I mean, I don't know if he is or not, but you know this. But this idea that it's like, what are women complaining about? Or like, what are people of color complaining about? And it's like, yeah, of course, like you don't see it because you're not involved in it. You mentioned um, the FBI Mm -hmm. Gamergate report. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it said and how that uh, is – is or is not reflective of your reality. Sure. This is really interesting because Gamergate used freedom of information request um, to go pull all the FBI records on it. So eventually they um, ended up putting out this report about Gamergate. I think it was like two months ago, but the mainstream media just picked it up. And, um, you know, it really shows their complete failure across the board to do anything about yeah. it. It, um, you know, it um, it talks about some of my threats that I got and some of their weak efforts to get it. But I'm telling you, as someone who I can show you emails of tons of information I sent them, it's just not there. It was not looked at. So I really think this speaks to the value of freedom of information requests, even though it's Gamergate doing it. Yeah. I think the public is really benefiting from seeing, um, you know, how they operate and what they did. But I mean, the FBI, I mean, I mean, it seems. I mean, it seems like we have some like problems. Not the problems that Doc, Donald Trump talks about with the intelligence right. community, but we do have some issues. I mean, if you look at the James Comey stuff, yeah. you know, uh, with with you know putting out this letter about e- the the emails, you know, the week before the election. Yeah. I mean, clearly there's some. 
I mean, corruption is not the right word, but there's some rot, right? Yeah, yeah. There, there's this, I mean, the FBI, I mean, how diverse is the FBI? How I talked to live agents. I never talked to anyone who was a white male. Yeah. So, so like how many of those people are like, oh, I can really understand how this, yeah. how bad this might be. Let me really look into it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's crazy to me. I think, um, I mean, do I, would I expect Donald Trump or Steve Bannon to make the FBI better at investigating Gamergate? Yeah. I no. feel like they, if anything, they'd be like. Tell these women to shut up. Like, yeah, yeah. this is not worth our time. I don't think they're going to take it anywhere new. No, I don't right. think the man that, uh, you know, Steve Bannon basically uh, legitimized Gamergate and he caused a whole lot of pain for, and their articles about me are just really ridiculous. I read them and laugh. But, but you, you mean know, Breitbart? The, yeah, Breitbart articles. And But, you know, the ones they wrote against some of the other targets of Gamergate, like Sarah Nyberg, that really almost destroyed her life, yeah. and it's just – it's BS. I mean their, right? their articles were essentially hit pieces on yeah. people, right? It, it takes I mean a, Bright, Breitbart yeah. weaponized its ability to act as like a news organization yeah. and use that to hurt people. Yeah, right? exactly. And, I think it says so much that they make Fox News look like the New York Times. Right. Like, no, you know, I, no, no. When you, yeah. know if, like, you know if like Fox News looks good by comparison, yeah. something is horribly yeah, wrong. Yeah, something's right? off a little bit. I mean, and how much – so how much do you see that influence in – the first 10 days of this administration. Bannon's fingerprints are all over it. Like we we obviously see it. Like the NSA stuff, like the – God, I couldn't even believe this. You know, Bannon had some allegations about him from his uh, ex-wife in a, in a you know, divorce hearing that he'd made some extremely anti-Semitic comments about his, um, you know, his children going to school with Jewish people. Yeah. And then you see they not all li- – they all lives mattered the Holocaust three days ago with yeah. deliberately editing Jewish people out of the Holocaust. Yeah. Like this, it has well, Bannon's I mean, fingerprints all over it. I mean the yeah. Holocaust Remembrance – Holocaust Remembrance Day was right. – omitting Jews from the uh, press release about it and then signing the immigration ban, (laughs) which is like the thing that, I mean, the immigration ban being signed on Holocaust Remembrance Day in some ways much more offensive. Yeah. Like essentially it is a religion ban. Yeah. Like it's a Muslim ban. Yeah. Which Donald Trump talked about on the campaign trail. I actually was like looking not to ramble, but like I was looking um, the other day, I'm like, yeah, he definitely talked about this being a Muslim ban, right? Like I'm not hallucinating. And I searched like Donald Trump Muslim ban. It's like the first thing that comes up is like a Guardian video of him going like, I call for a ban on all Muslims. Yeah. It's not like it, it was, it's still on his campaign website. Like there, people were like, oh, Rudy Giuliani said it was a Muslim ban. It's on the website. The words, <laughs> the words Muslim ban. But yes, the words Muslim ban. I mean, so this is to yeah. me, this is like yeah. a trip. So where do we go? I mean, to me, it seems like we're in such a crisis mode right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's encouraged. Like I get very encouraged about the idea that that someone like you yeah. is saying, all right, it's one thing to be out in pro- – and I think the protests have been incredible. And I think like I'm very encouraged by this idea that the people in this country do have a voice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But to have somebody like you coming in at the actual level of, hey, I'm a part of the government. I'm yeah. not just like somebody who's protesting it or somebody who's suing it. That to me is encouraging. Like is that – is the answer – I mean dr- Donald Trump talked about draining the swamp, but is it a different kind of draining? Like is there a different – is it does it start like this? Yeah, I guess diversify the swamp maybe. I mean look. <laughs> not as catchy. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't really have the same thing. No, right. really. I have written so many pieces, Josh, over the last few years about Gamergate and harassment. I can't point to one policy that's changed. I can't point to one arrest. I have given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews 
I can't point to any one thing that's changed. Certainly people are more aware of it, and that's great. But we've hit an asymptote. It's diminishing returns from here. So I think it's great to tweet. It's great to protest. It's great to talk to friends about this. It's great to have this conversation. It has immense value. And I don't want to downplay that. But ultimately, we're asking people to pull a lever and make a decision on our behalf. It just doesn't seem like... It's not a ridiculous idea for some of us to run for office ourselves, especially in the House of Representatives. You know, the Senate was designed as this stable body where terms are six years long and it's like seniority really matters and you have to be 35 to be there, which was a lot older 200 years ago. Interesting. The, the House, I didn't know there was a 35-year-old. You had yeah, it's 25 for the House huh. and uh, 35 for the, uh, That's cute. For the Senate. Sort yeah. of like an interesting <laughs> idea. It's a really quaint idea. Yeah. You're like, you have to be this old to right. become a senator. Yeah, no, it's true. But in the House, you have to run for office every two years. The constitutional point of that is to have the feelings of the time reflected and right. cycle people through quickly. The founding fathers did not want people like you know my opponent Stephen Lynch who's been there for decades almost right, right? right to just park there and take weak positions and just change with the times and basically hide and not get anything done the main thing he's talked about is airport noise at Logan he's been working on that for like four years he's like years. there's a lot of protests here yeah he hasn't said anything about the Muslim ban that's really? not the way that as a Democrat of, as a Democrat he's this not is, said anything this is what's so striking to me is, the, yeah. is, is how few people who are supposed to be on the other side yeah. don't act like they're on the other side yeah and I'm, look I mean and, and, and this is at the, at the highest levels right yeah. you know yeah. I think there's a fine line I, I don't think everybody needs to be a radical yeah but I don't think it's a radical opinion to say like something's wrong with this with this executive order yeah right it doesn't feel like a radical position to take to say if you really want to ban if you're worried about countries that produce terrorists, you haven't put any of the terrorists who have attacked America on the list. That's yep. a problem, right? Yep. Any of the countries on the list. Yep. If it's And if it's about religion, which is really what it seems like, that's unconstitutional, right? right? And so, and so what, how is that, you know, for a Democrat, if that's a controversial opinion, that seems like there's something really wrong with the way we perceive our, yeah. our politicians. Something I've thought about so much is the ACA, right? And I support the ACA, and I enthusiastically voted for Hillary, right? Um so the ACA is a compromise in and of itself. It started as a Republican bill under Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, yeah. right? So very Republican approach to health care. We gave them that compromise and they are dismantling it anyway. So to me, right. I'm sitting here going, okay, the ACA was great. We made a lot of progress on that. But why didn't we go in single payer? Like yeah. Yeah. if we're going to – I think we need it was Democrats. Definitely was a half step. I mean yeah. it, it got neutered. I mean as it, as it went up the chain, right? It's sure. like it started with this like really lofty, okay, this can be great. And yeah. then, I mean people are mad about, you know, the ACA or Obamacare, whatever you sure. call it. Now, like they're mad – but it's like the Republicans made it way worse. Like yeah. it didn't start that way. Right. It, it's bad because people like worked really hard to kind of to try to kill it or stop it. Yeah. And as a result, they whittled it down to something that it's not supposed to be. They did. They sabotaged it. And, and, and yeah, I mean, of course, Republicans have been obstructionists and, and saboteurs the entire time Obama was president, basically. Right. right? After they flipped the mid, in the midterms. Right. And so I'm, to me, it's like daunting, though. Now I feel like we're in a place where, I mean, can one— can your voice matter? Is it? Can it be loud enough? Can it affect the people around you enough to change? You know this. What feels like increasingly like a dystopic yeah. sci-fi novel. Well, Josh, I can point to you to 
four separate women in Massachusetts that I know will run for office, in part because of I've been talking to them, I've been encouraging them to run, and my campaign is very deliberately not all about me because they'll just drag me down with personal attacks, right? right? But if we make this a movement, and I'm not talking like some Bernie Sanders, like boil the ocean, idealistic you know, vision of America. I talk a really pragmatic approach. Like enough women out there are pissed yeah. about how sexist Donald Trump is and more of us run for office. You know, if we get that number from one in five to like one in three in the House, yeah. that's a real change if we have more women at the state level. So right. I think I really like you've got to see this out there because I do. I have yeah. people writing my campaign like, please give me something to do. I have to do something to stop this. I think this is going to be something that gets more people involved. We saw this after the civil rights era in Mississippi. A lot of black people then started running for office right. and started speaking for those communities and government. Right. I, I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, changing the kind of ratio of, of, of women. I was thinking like, I really would prefer if it was just an all, if it was all women. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, men are bad. Men are like, as a man, I can tell you like, I'm distracted. I'm bad at making decisions. My temper sucks. Like, I think most men generally are like, it's like, it's okay. Like, we don't really need your input at this point. Like we, the country is where it's at. Like, let's let somebody else take the wheel for a little while. Yeah. So it'd be kind of a dream to me. I don't think we can do that anytime soon. Yeah. Here's what I want to know. This is, and I think this is probably gonna be, have to be the last thing because we're, right, we're kind right. of running short on time, but. Tell me how you go from being like a regular citizen. Yeah. Because I have zero clue. Yeah. You're getting, your attempt now is to go from like you're a person yep. over here, just like you're interested in politics. You've yep. got experience with various things. You're a business person. Yeah. Now you're going from that to you're going to be a congressperson. Yeah. A congresswoman. Yeah. Right. That's it. Um, how do you do that? Like, what do you need to do to make that happen? It's not that complicated. You fill out some forms at the FEC. You announce your intention to run, and I think I've got to go to the mall or Fenway a few days and get 3,000 signatures to get on the ballot. So not we super We have to get 3,000 signatures. It's something like that. Can you get I them forget. digitally, or do you have to get them physically? I think we have to go out and do it. But this is great because I'm going to be campaigning anyway. So you so. have to like go out on the street? Uh, someone on my team will have to. And they're going to go and they're going to say, hey, you know, Brianna Brian is running for yeah. Congress yeah. and here's like sign up here. Yep, that's exactly And so it. you need to get 3,000 signatures. Yeah, is but there... that's, that's just the basics. The real issue here is money, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, that's what I was going to yeah. get to. I was going to say, no. is there a fee to just like become like a person who's – We cap- spent so much money with lawyers. Like we've, we're already getting donations. Like we've done very well with fundraising. Right. And it's frightening how much money we've had to pay lawyers. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you definitely got to do that. Like, um, so unlike raising. Donald Trump, I take like compliance with the law very seriously yeah. in my campaign. Um, but really, here's just the plain truth. Stephen Lynch is rumored to have a million dollars in the bank already for re-election because no one's challenged him since 2001. He's been sitting on it. Since he's been sitting there. He's never had a primary challenger in District 8. Right. And, um, you know, he's got a million in the bank already. <laughs> the average uh, congressional race costs um, $1.2 million. In Massachusetts, it's going to be more like two. And that comes from donors. It comes from donors. And Unless you know, you're independently wealthy. Which I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I, we do well. We do well. But, um, you know, I'm really helping if I have to go to my friends that are venture capitalists or, you know, like, uh, you know, AT&T and Verizon say, like, what kind of tech policy do you think we're going the same way on? I'll do that. But what we are doing, and I think this is so brilliant – I have never seen a political ad specifically target tech people out there Hmm. and talk to tech people with really honest language about the issues we care about, 
privacy, cybersecurity, you know, um, you know, free speech online, mm-hmm. like all these, there's a slate of things that it doesn't matter if you're right or left, if you're a techie, you agree on yeah. We are going to very specifically target those people with ads. And my hope is that engineers and techies that read this and see those ads will say, hey, I want to be the next hot new demographic for people to chase for political donations. Because if you do that, like you're going to have more of a voice in Congress. So we're going to innovate like that. And so so you've got to raise money. I do. Do you have a website? We do, Brianna Wu 2018. Okay, that's pretty, that's that's pretty straightforward. Makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. And so you're, you're raising money, Cost you said it's $1.2 million that at you least, have to, yeah. at least. Yeah. How many, now, how many people are going to vote in this uh, in this race? It's like, a great question. This is a really interesting question. So the last election, 70,000 people voted for okay. Stephen Lynch. Okay. That was a presidential year. So then you go, okay, Democrats don't really vote on off years. What's that number? So right. you cut 70,000 in half, 35. Is it 20 that yeah. I've got to get? Yeah. And then you go, hold on, this isn't even the election. This is the primary right. before the election. Right. So this is just a – so this is – so he's got the seat, right? Yep. The primary dictates, like, if you can even run against him, like, for real? Or, or explain how this, how this sure, would work. Sure, the primary is if I'll be the Democratic candidate. Right. And then because a Republican has not been elected in that slot since 1953, I will pretty much win after right. that. Uh, so then it's just – so – okay, so wait. So is that it then? Well, we'll have to go through the election. I'll have right. to keep campaigning. Right, and so, he'll campaign yeah. also. I wouldn't imagine for the – No, he would have to that's drop it. He's out done. That. Yeah, so that's so it. So beat him in the primary. So you just done. beat him in the primary. Yeah. Okay. So you we're talking. You between, can tell I really know nothing about like in the in in the congressional sense. Like, right. I don't think about it there, and, and like on a, this smaller scale. But right. that's really interesting. Think about this. I can't because I come from the mobile game world, right? I'm thinking about this like user acquisition problem, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I go and pay someone three dollars to get someone to download my game. How much do I need to go acquire between five thousand and twenty thousand voters? Right. And and how big is the? What is the? Um, eligible size of the eligible voters in this district. I don't know that number offhand, yeah. but I mean, Should I know what the massive number is to win. That's <laughs> right. what we're more thinking about, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but but the number is like seventy thousand. That's how many people voted last time. That's how many time, people voted. So, yeah. So you need to win the obviously the majority there. But yep. wow, this is it. to me like now thinking of it in that way, it's like very. You do actually start to think like game logic, yeah, right? You are right. kind of like, okay, well, how do you map this out? Like, you start how does going. This... Does Stephen Lynch have friends at Facebook and Instagram and Twitter yeah. that he can talk to about really targeted ads? Like, we're going to hire a documentary crew, and we are going to target different groups in District Eight the same way I would if I were making a video game and I'd make a different ad for women and a different ad for men, right? Right. right. We're going to hyper target those voters on social media, and I'm going to tell you, Josh, I can shake ten thousand hands. I can go right. out there at District Eight uh, in two gonna, years. You're probably going to have to shake ten thousand. Yeah, hands. yeah. Um, so, so how long? Yeah. So this goes on for how long? For t- two years, 2018? a little bit, uh, yeah. pretty much through the end of 2018. Right. Right. Wow. That's going to be a long, it's interesting exhausting. road. It's and, and and I assume like you'll be talking about this. A ton in the next over the next two years. I, I've got to. You're gonna hope, hope you don't get sick of hearing it. So. Know, I, I think I think people will be very open to a different 
viewpoint and a different voice. Yeah. I think, I think like, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how you feel, but the mood to me of this country is like people have been woken up and they're like, Hey, wait a second. It, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're apathetic, like that doesn't work. Yeah. Right. You end up with Donald Trump and Steve Bannon running the government, yeah. which yeah. is really problematic. If I could, and this is probably a good note to end on, you know, I was in an Uber the other day in Boston and the, the person driving me a vote for Donald Trump. And she asked me to say something nice about him. And this is what I would say, you know, politics through my whole lifetime has been kabuki theater, right? Like you've got this ridiculous script that nobody buys and the actors stick to the poses and the audience promises not to laugh. It's not real. Yeah, It's not real. I see this even people in my district that I, I deeply respect. Like anything they say goes through three marketing people and it just feels fake. Like yeah. Hillary, I supported her, but she felt – you know what I'm talking about. There's, not, a, yeah, there's, there's a, a lack of authenticity. I mean, I think what people responded to with Bernie was like, he seemed a little crazy. He seemed like he right. said some things that weren't that popular to a lot of people, but right. he also seemed like he actually gave a shit and meant yeah, what he was saying. He seems like a genuine person, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think Donald Trump, for all the damage he's done for our to our country, I think he's created an environment where, look, you know, Josh, I've listened to rap songs and with dirty words in them before, right? Like I'm a real person. I've made, you know, and I I think it frees people, just real outspoken, genuine people to go run for office because you've got to be more qualified than Trump. I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be very difficult, but you are right. Like if there's a nice thing to say about Trump and, and, you know, that's a big if. Yeah. You can't deny that there's something – he has a charisma yeah. that is that is, and charisma is hard to say about such a, an odious person. But right. there, you can tell that at the very least, you know, he wasn't. He's not reading from a script, nope. but he's also not blowing it. When people, right. when most people don't read from a script, they kind of screw it up. Yeah, right. They say something stupid. They put their foot in their mouth. Like right. I mean, he did that plenty. But that was like his authentic yeah, reality. He, like that's who he is. He's authentic, right? Yeah. And uh, that, right. that authentic okay, that's, person that, is terrifying. That's but, one nice thing to say. But, I, I'd rather yeah. have authentic and – I'm looking for authentic and smart and like empathetic. How about just flawed normal people? Yeah. Like uh, I was once reading a psychological thing about what most politicians are. They're not normal people. Like these are people <laughs> that in high school – Decide they're going to run for office and they never smoke pot and they never drink and they make every decision through their whole life to be this blameless person. I'm not that. (laughs) I'm not that. No, I think – I actually think like what what was endearing in many ways about Obama like is – because he was so young when he ran. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like he smoked pot and yep. like was a college kid. And like yep. you like I'm like, yeah, I know people like this. Like and it's not like in the wild like to have a beer with this guy sense, but it's like this person's like a person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that goes a long way. And I think that um as we have broken down barriers in what we perceive as like privacy. Yeah. Like like let's be honest, we are more exposed than we've ever been. We are more outspoken than we've ever been. We are seeing more of each other yeah. than we've ever seen in history. Yeah. It definitely needs a different approach than like the same um, going through the same motions that every politician has always gone through. Right. And I do think that like even though Hillary had an incredibly strong turnout for her, I mean she did win by, you know, the popular vote by millions of people. She did. The reality is like – it wasn't like so overwhelming that Donald Trump never had a chance, right? Yeah. And and yeah. I think I think that authenticity is a piece of it. You know, I mean, she was facing a lot of structural sexism with the media coverage of her. Well, I mean, and, ridiculously, yeah. right? Like 
40 years of sexism, yep. 40 years of tearing her down. Yep. I mean, being torn down in, if it wasn't, you know, for being too strong, it was being torn down for being too weak about her husband or whatever. I mean, Hillary Clinton deserved more than anyone and should have been the president. Not like, far. in yeah. my opinion, like yeah. there's no question. Yeah. But I also understand, I understand though, disagree with people who are like, well, she wasn't authentic enough. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, I don't think that's her fault, by the way. She's just a person of a different era. Right. So, yeah. and, and also, like, you know, I'll trade authentic. I will say this. I'll trade authenticity for competence. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. okay, maybe you're like a little bit of, phone, of a phony, but at least, like, you know what to say to another world leader so you don't get us into a war. Right. 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 So. Well, this is part of why I'm running for the house, right? Like, I want to run for that. This is this place for me, people like me to start. Yeah. I hope to grow as a leader yeah. there over the next few years. And, like, my dream would be I hope one day I'll grow into the level of leader Elizabeth Warren is, which I'm not today. But, you know, like, this is where I got to start. So, you know, like, I think think the best you can ask for sometimes is people that just take the work seriously. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people are excited. And I I personally, like, I'm very excited to watch this. Yeah. I think you have – I mean, it sounds to me like you have a great shot just based on the numbers. Yeah. But I think you've got a great shot because I think America's in a very different mindset right now. And they need – we need like legitimate change in the way our government functions. So, so. anyhow, good luck. Thank you for coming on and doing this. This is so good. I really appreciate it. And you got to come back as you're like on the campaign trail. I'll be in New York all the time. And talk more about like what – how it's it's going. Sounds amazing. Thanks Thanks for having me. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. But let's be honest. Donald Trump has been president for like 10 days, and it's pretty clear that no one is getting the very best.